Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron's And good evening, everybody. It is Friday, April 8th, 2022. It is the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast, presented by Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting, you may just need a support group. Tonight, we'll be that support group for the next hour or so, as Alan joins me here tonight. Good to be back with you, Alan. Uh, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking, Aaron. Glad to be here on a beautiful Friday night. No better place to be than me on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Absolutely. Uh, you're correct about that. And tonight is a special night uh, for a, a variety of reasons. Obviously, uh, hard to believe we're already into April, but anyone who is a sports fan of any kind would understand that April 8th is a very special day because it was 48 years ago tonight in Atlanta, Georgia, that Henry Aaron, the hammer, the late Hank Aaron, surpassed Babe Ruth by hitting number 715 and a remarkable moment uh, for a lot of reasons. We're going to talk about that as our show goes on tonight. Uh, This is opening week of Major League Baseball. But before we do, I want to just play a little clip here of that moment from 48 years ago this evening. What a remarkable moment. And that call from... Uh, from 1974, um, that call from 1974 there, uh, for those of you who were able to hear it here, hopefully we didn't have any technical difficulties, um, that was from uh, Kurt Gowdy, um, I believe he was with NBC at the time, so uh, Alan, I know we talked about this uh, a lot over the last year plus, obviously the night that Hank Aaron passed away early uh, last year, we had Daryl Strawberry on the program, um, such an icon in Sports, such an icon in baseball. Um, want to get your thoughts. Uh, I know we've talked about this a lot, but I want to get your thoughts on, in your mind, what Hank Aaron meant, not just to baseball, but to sports in, in America in general. Yeah, definitely Hank Aaron is a, is a legend and a guy that really changed race relations in America, and especially in baseball, in a positive way. You know, I had the pleasure of watching the – Baseball Hall of Fame, they did a live feed today, and they were doing a tribute of Hank Aaron, and I got a chance to join the Facebook Live and watched it. Remarkable how difficult it was for Hank Aaron at that time, 1974, to just stay focused on the game. You know, a lot of time they talk about today's athletes and, and things that are happening with social media. Well, they didn't have social media when Hank Aaron was around. How they communicated was through letters. He got a lot of hate mail. He did get some positive. They even did say at the Hall of Fame that he did get some positive letters from him, but the negativity and the death threats overshadowed all of that. And, you know, Hank Aaron was a guy who just wanted to play baseball as a gentleman, and he had to deal with this not just off the, on the field, but off the field too. When he was in hotels, they were segregated. So just the logistics that he had to deal with just to be on the baseball field and not even be Hank Aaron like the 
mega hit player, home run hitter, just to be a guy who could be productive on the field, which happens here with all that mental stress, is just remarkable with the utmost class that he has. And yeah, absolutely. And, and he was he was a fairly yeah. um, low profile individual. Now I I didn't ever see him play. Uh, he he retired before my uh, before my time, and I think before your time too. So n- neither of us actually ever saw him play. Um, I did see him in person on multiple occasions over the years. And for the most part, you know, you talk about a classy individual, absolutely, um, by far, probably one of the classiest individuals ever to play. You talk about a person who's great on the field, even better off the field. Um, a guy that, you know, you look at guys today who are mega stars or superstars or, or big time players that are, they, they, they let you know that Hank Aaron wasn't like that at all. He was very, very you know, matter of fact, he was very, very into making sure that, you know, the people around him were uh, doing well, didn't act like some of the people we see in today's uh, sports world. But here's the thing I find remarkable, um, and I want to get your take on this uh, as an African-American, of course. Next Friday, which is uh, April 15th, 2022, will be the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And if you think about this, if I'm doing my math correctly, from the time he broke the color barrier in 1947, fast forward to 1974, it's only basically a week shy of 27 years. So from the time he broke the color barrier to 27 years later, which 27 years, it's a long time if you think about today, 27 years into the future, it's a long time to think about. But in reality, 27 years is not that long a time. Hank Aaron breaks the the, uh, the, uh, all-time home run record. So a huge accomplishment for what Jackie Robinson paved the way for, for Hank Aaron to be able to do. And then, you know, many, many other players, Willie Mays and, all, you know, all these other great players that played along the way. So I, I want to take you have a unique perspective on this, being African-American. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it's just amazing how I feel as if, you know, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, these gentlemen were putting places that not everybody could handle, but they handle it with such grace and class. And they paved the way for me today. You know, when I look at it, I just went to the Charleston Open and the demographics is predominant. It's number one is I would say 95% female. I wasn't, I definitely was outnumbered, but also (laughs) the demographics was, I would say a good 80%. 85% of the other race of white. So I stood out, but I didn't mm-hmm. feel awkward. I didn't feel like I was out of place. I didn't feel like I wasn't warranted. I didn't feel like is somebody going to attack me. I didn't feel that. And, you know, even just having this show with me and yourself being different, you don't feel that today. And I owe that a lot to the guys that paved the way that made it so that they acted with dignity and class and it made it so that people are like, okay, maybe the stereotypes that you see of, of certain people are not always the case in everybody. That was one thing that I think that, that really emphasized that, hey, people have stereotypes. So, okay, black people, they're loud, they're, they're obnoxious, they, you know, they're emotional and, and all of that. But you see guys that represent the race in a positive manner and you get a chance to see that just because someone's black doesn't mean that they're all going to act the same way. You got to look at what Martin Luther King said. You got to look at the content of everybody's character. And that's what you should absolutely. judge people on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
that, that's that's probably one of the best points ever, and that's something that I've always lived by. That 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 code or that uh, uh, series of words or, or phrase right there. Um, that's what matters the most is the content of your character. And you talk about two people who, again, represented not just baseball, but represented a changing of the way things were done. And both of them were obviously, as you mentioned before, they had a lot of uh, hate mail and a lot of, you know, you, you watch that movie 42, and I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg about what really was going on. Obviously, they can't depict everything in a movie. And obviously, the emotions, they can't depict everything in a movie. Um, but two individuals who, the reason why they stood out with class isn't because they didn't want to fight back. I'm sure that there were emotions in both of them to, you know, fight back, but they didn't. And that was the thing that was so remarkable is that through all that, they, they, they held their ground and they, they took the high road. And I think that's a very, especially in today's world, something we can look at and say, you know, 75 years after, uh, you know, after Jackie Robinson and almost 50 years after Hank Aaron passing uh, Babe Ruth, that's the way to, to live. You know, you're going to have people who are going to hate you. You're going to have people in, in, in whether it's the sports world or, you know, it's the regular world that are going to, uh, you know, say things or write things or do things and taking that, that classy high road is, is how both of them did it. And that's very remarkable. So. No, you're absolutely right. That's a fantastic point. You know, you're absolutely right. You know, they could have easily on a bad, like say they was in a bad mood, fell for the bait and retaliated. I'm sure they had it probably even thought about retaliating, but they never let the emotion overtake them because they knew that, hey, if I retaliate, if you think it's bad now, it's going to be a hundred times worse for us, not just me, but anybody who follows me because I'm the example. So. They handled, they took, they, like you said, to your point, they, they handled with grace and class and they took the high road. And I talked about this last Friday about the Will Smith incident. That's why I was kind of a little bit of the, upset about it because I felt as if as an African-American, that incident did not put us as African-American on the best stage. You know, you have Will Smith, usually a classy guy go ahead and slap in another black guy. It just didn't look good, I felt, for the the black race. So these things do do stand out and they do they kind of give a black eye to people's stereotypes. And that's what Aaron, Hank Aaron did. He made sure that anybody that looked at him or looked at him past him was going to get the best version of a class guy. And that's what he did. He was a class act. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Willie Mays will be in that category as well. And, you know, this is something that I'll go into a little bit deeper as we get closer to the summer. Um, something that I have always been uh, interested in individually. Um, I'd love to go to Cooperstown someday, of course, and see, you know, all the immaculate uh, baseball uh, icons and yeah, memorabilia and that sort of stuff. I'm going to Kansas City this summer, and that's where the uh, Negro League Hall of Fame Museum is located at, and I'm actually planning to take a tour there. And the reason I want to do that is because even today, even in 2022, um, you know, anybody who follows baseball has probably heard the names Josh Gibson, uh, Satchel Page, Buck O'Neill. I could name a couple more off too. Um, but names like that, they were iconic in – the Negro Leagues back in the 1940s and 50s. But there's a lot of players that played in, in that time that nobody knows about, nobody really has heard about. So 
I'm looking forward to taking a, a tour there and getting some more knowledge on something that's almost like a hidden gem. You know, this is almost like, you know, even though it's 75 years since it's mostly been around, there's a lot of players that played there in that era. And I know they didn't keep stats the way they do today. You know, they didn't have exit velocity and launch angle and, you know, all these different crazy things they use for metrics today back then. But if you go back and look at some of these players that played during that time, there's a lot of stars in there that nobody's ever even heard their name. So um, it, it's really going to be I'm, – I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, hopefully it gets to, to happen here as I'm going to be spending a couple of days there uh, in Kansas city. And I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, you should, you should definitely go to it and take advantage of it. These things, these museums are there to showcase what the talent was and what things had were at that time. And they do a great job of giving you the biggest picture of way it is a way it was. And you should definitely go. I've been to Cooperstown. You know, it's one of the most memorable trips that I've had, me and uh, my buddy Rich. I actually had another opportunity to go. I think I talked about this last year. But, yeah, Cooperstown is a great, great place to go. It's a lot of fun, a lot of history. They have great exhibitions. In fact, watching the, the live feed from Cooperstown, it made me want to go there again. Like, man, it's been years since I've been there. I should get it, get there and go there again. It's in a small place in upstate New York where you normally there's not really much anything else to do but to go to Cooperstown and it's a great experience I recommend anybody who's ever been in New York to go to Cooperstown a lot of history they had and even he said they had the whole uniform of Hank Aaron hitting that 715 home run they had everything they had the hat his jersey the cleats socks everything which is remarkable to have that. And what was another cool thing they did have, they actually had some of the letters that Hank was getting and they read some Mm -hmm. of the letters too. So just imagine what you had to think about. Because one thing about Hank is when he got close to Babe Ruth, the season ended. So he had to deal with it the next coming season. The whole entire off season. Yeah. The entire off season about yep. what's going to happen and him breaking his record. So Cleveland had plenty of time to send their letters in and their hate mail and get the hate in because it wasn't like during the season where you had less time. No, it was in the off season. You had a whole off season to get at them. And people jumped in that pool of opportunity. Yeah, if I remember correctly, and again, I wasn't around way back in 1973, 74, but he finished 73 with 713. And he got 714, so he tied, tied Babe Ruth in Cincinnati, which is another historic baseball town, um, just a few nights before. And then, um, obviously, uh, on April 8th, 1974, 48 years ago tonight, uh, he surpassed Babe Ruth. And I know I've spoken to a few people who were around back then that were able to witness it you know, on live TV. And, of course, we didn't have the ESPNs and the Fox Sports um, CBS Sports of the World back in those days to be able to you know go to a live feed of you know Hank Aaron coming to the plate with a chance to break the record it didn't didn't work quite like that I believe NBC had the coverage back then and um, I'm not sure if everyone heard the clip or not that I played at the very uh, beginning of the show but uh, Kurt Gowdy uh, had one of the calls there was actually three uh, three different calls of that home run my favorite one personally is uh, Vin Skelly of the Dodgers. That's who they were playing that night was the Dodgers. 
Um, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, trivia or tidbits about the the um, the 715th home run. He hit it off Al Downing, who was a left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers. Um, and I believe it was either caught in the bullpen by one yes, of their uh, bullpen bullpen. pitchers. Uh, yep. But the, 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 the left too. fielder who, yeah, the, if you watch the video, the left fielder who went to climb the fence is um, Bill Buckner, who obviously um, we would know about more about 12 years later when he made that big famous error uh, in, uh, <laughs> in game six of the World Series between the Mets and the Red Sox. Uh, one last thing on the Hank Aaron home run that I want to just point out that I have always found to be one of the um, nice things about it, I guess you could say. Obviously, there's a lot of things that it stood for. But in that moment, as you watch all the Braves players and even some of the Dodgers players that kind of gathered around behind home plate, Hank Aaron's mom was still around when he hit that home run. And you see her come running down onto the field, purse in hand, giving the biggest like like he was still a little kid, biggest hug, and it was just a just a great moment. Uh, probably, in my opinion, one of the most iconic moments in sports history. As we continue to talk about Hank Aaron and, of course, the baseball season tonight, it's not the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Show uh, uh, without having our good buddy Lou. And Lou is uh, hanging in there tonight. Uh, Lou, uh, good evening. Hopefully, you can hear me. Uh, how are you? Ryan Clear, fellas. I didn't hear the audio from the home run though, so I, that might have been telling you on my part. But one historic night that was, you know, 48 years ago. Who would have thought that I have in my lifetime? Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> of yeah, you were probably about what, the game itself, but, you know. <laughs> so, Lou, what you are know, your I thoughts on... Young I'm sorry, Lou. What, I was going to say, what are your thoughts on Hank and that, that big moment? Well, I wasn't, you know, I don't think I remember actually calling watching the game itself. I mean, it was only four years old at the time. But, you know, i seen the old clips. I read the books on it. And, you know, you think for something that was, you know, such a historical occasion, though, that, you know, Aaron was surrounded with people. A lot of people just didn't like him. And, you know, a lot of people didn't want him to break the record. You know, it, uh, you know that I think kind of served us as a black eye itself. You know. Yeah. Sure, it was yeah. a record that no one thought was going to be touched by, you know, Babe Ruth. But uh, that did happen. But I just can't, you know, leave all the hate mail that, that came with it. No, you're so absolutely just, right. That's, that, you know, that's, you know, I find very, uh, well, rather disturbing. It is. It is. And then for them to, at the, that's why I was so glad I watched that, that Facebook Live. They actually read some of the, the letters in the hate mail and I don't remember if I went to the museum if I actually read some of the mail, but he actually had some letters there. He had a bunch of letters, and he read some of it. He did get some positive one, but he had for, – for one positive, he had about 25 negatives. That's how the ratio was, something of that nature. Yeah. So he got overshadowed. And, yeah, he, he just he – just, um, and another thing about the negative <laughs> letters – even the guy pointed out that a lot of these negativities and this letters that he was getting, these people use some poor spelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> showing, <laughs> showing their stupidity, basically, within yeah, – yeah, that's crazy, that. isn't it? <laughs> he but one cool oh. thing that I'm really glad that you, you called in, Lou, that I wanted you both to hear was watching that Facebook Live feed was that when 
you saw Hank Aaron hit the home run after he, he went around second base. Two young men approached Aaron on the field, and they both were 17 years old. And just imagine you're Hank Aaron, you're getting all this hate mail. These two guys are coming up to you after you just hit the the record breaking home run. You know what thoughts might, might be going through your mind? Is this guy gonna you know attack me or do something bad? And and it was just beat like me the, up or... you know beat me up or make sure I don't round home plate because he has to touch. In order for you to be a legitimate home run, you actually have to touch all the bases, including home plate. And he was he just rounded second base, so he was about a little past halfway. But it just was just an instinct and a feeling that the guys were not there to harm him. I guess they saw the smile on his face and the pat on his back. They weren't there to harm him. And lo and behold, I don't think so. The guys they didn't they did get arrested that night, but they didn't get charged. And guess what? Hank Aaron was such a class guy that he ended up being friends of those two guys that that celebrated on the field with him. And to be their friends. That just shows you how much class this guy has. And that's one of the things that I walked away with, with Hank Aaron hearing it from the Hall of Fame was that Hank Aaron was, if you think he's a class guy and a gentleman, you once you see all these stories and hear that he had to go through, you'll even think multiply it by 10. I mean, he handled it with grace and class and dignity. You know, the guy – was a soft-spoken guy who just had ability to hit home runs. But the great thing about Hank Aaron was that even they talked about this, the moderator talked about this, is that Hank Aaron did not hit tape measures home runs. He hit line drives no, and barely clear defense. Yeah, so it just yeah, goes to show you. How about that? Yeah. It just goes to show remarkable you that. Thing. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, it, it just goes to show you that you can – win and also have numbers a different way is all I wanted to say. Well, a couple of things right. I always like to point out regarding Hank Aaron, um, because I consider myself to some degree to be a Hank Aaron, a, a uh, historian, um, obviously being a Braves fan and growing up with the name Aaron. And anytime somebody asked me my name, I'd say, my name is Aaron. And they'd say, Oh, how do you spell that? And I would say A-A-R-O-N like Hank Aaron was always, you know, even as a little kid until being in my 40s now, it's still kind of how I go about it. Never hit 50 home runs in a season. That's remarkable. Hit 755 in a 23-year career and never hit 50. I would make the argument with anybody that Hank Aaron is the greatest hitter of all time because if you take away his 755 home runs, he had 3,771 career hits. Yeah, take away all of his home runs, he still has over 3,000 hits. I just find that remarkable. And, yeah, he wasn't a home run hitter. He, he really wasn't. He, he, he was not a, a guy who hit 500-foot home runs. I'm sure he had a couple of them in there uh, occasionally. But you're absolutely right. He was a line drive hitter and really was a guy who kind of went the other way. He went uh, towards right and right center when he was younger. Um, which typically if you're a right-hand hitter and you're going to right and right center, you're probably going to be a pretty good hitter because most hitters, even way back then, if you were just a power hitter, you were going to pull the ball. Well, Hank Aaron hit the ball where it was at. So um, those are just kind of some tidbits about Hank Aaron that I always like to point out because I've always, I've always felt like he was probably the best 
and still the best ambassador to the game of baseball um, the game's ever seen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, him and, yeah. and Jackie. What are your thoughts, Lou? I mean, you know, he does rank up there as probably one of the great greatest hitters of all, of all time. I'll, I'll give you that. You know, I always spent a lot of hate mail, though, from Bill Bugner, mostly, though, of course, after that. But uh, that's really a stretch of time. <laughs> <laughs> Little, little yeah. Oh, I got two Buckner and Tom Brady. The Mets win it. Oh boy, <laughs> that Bill, I was gonna hit me off from. Yeah, poor B- Bill Buckner, man. And boy, you know yeah. what? I'm glad that Bill Buckner they did it. They made it right for him before his unfortunate passing. But that guy was yeah. that guy was in agony for like years for that era. Yeah. They, I know. That was unfair. That was that was really unfair. What are your guys' thoughts on the treatment that Bill Buckner had to deal with for years? Well, have you guys ever seen the movie Fever Pitch? Yeah, it came out in 2005. I, I haven't seen the whole movie, no. Well, there's a, a portion of that movie that I never even thought about, and it's probably about mid midway, maybe a little after the midway point of the movie, and you know, oftentimes it's the big error that everybody looks at. There's a lot of things that happened in that inning that led to that happening. That If they hadn't happened, Buckner would have never been in that situation. Um, but the pitcher, and I forget who the pitcher was for the Red Sox in that specific moment, normally if a ground ball is hit to the first baseman the way that one was, the first baseman is going to wait on the ball. He's going to field the ball where he's at, and then he's going to toss it to the first uh, to the pitcher covering first and the pitcher never covered first so yes everybody's going to gravitate to the fact that the ball literally went right through his legs and hit the side of his glove and obviously the Mets win this game in remarkable fashion after having two outs and just getting very very lucky or whatever you want to call it the the curse was apparently still alive that night Um, but the fact is is the pitcher didn't cover the bag so even if he had fielded it at the very minimum everyone would have been safe. The winning run may not have scored just yet, but everyone would have been safe and the inning would have at least gone on. So I think it's just, it's interesting to look at how, um, how those things happen. I'll go back even to, you know, another game kind of getting off onto a different baseball tangent here, but (laughs) you know, you go to the, uh, the game in 2003 between the Marlins and the Cubs and, you know, everybody blames uh, Steve Bartman out there in left field. Well, that same inning, before it even got to that point, the Cubs were a pretty good defensive team that year. They made a couple of really glaring errors in that inning that led to that happening. So it's not always the uh, you know the, the big error. Yeah, everybody's going to gravitate to that again, but it's not always that that causes it to happen. It's the other little things that happen along the way that lead to that even being a potential for happening. So, No, you're absolutely right. To your point, Aaron, that's a fantastic point because Bill Buckner, yes, he had made an error, but you got to put it in perspective. Number one, as you mentioned, no one covered the bag. And number two, who was coming up the line? Mookie Wilson. Yeah, if you don't feel yeah. the ball cleanly, he's going to be safe anyway, even with you being that close to the bag. So that was not an easy play. Plus, he was moving to the left to go get the ball. You understand? And it went underneath his glove. Yes. Is it a play that Bill Buckner probably would make? Yes, but it is the World Series. You got Mookie Wilson coming up the line. He had to move to his left. 
he didn't put his glove down low enough. It happens. But yeah. if you watch, you know, we had the honor and the grace of having Dallas Strawberry come on our show exactly a year ago. And if you watch the documentary of, you know, the Queens documentary, the thing about that is before that play happened, there was about three or four things that should have happened for Boston that didn't happen that led up to Bill Buckner's play. And then even with them losing the game, they still had another game to close out the series and win. People forget that. And they had too. a lead in that game too, I believe, if I remember correctly. They had a lead in that game too. So like, okay, yeah. yes, he made the error, but you can't dwell on the error and look at something that happened in rearview mirror. You got to look at what's happened present. Boston still had a game after that to still close out the series and win. So to me, you know, to me, I don't like it when somebody uses one play and hold on to it. I'll even go to you further to give you an example. What are your thoughts on that, Lou? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he will be known for that one play, but I don't think it should come down to just that one play of, you know, his career. I mean, he's not so much a, but, you know, it left a permanent mark on you, you know, as a player and, you know, something to get by. But still, I don't think you should be home, you know, for just that one little blunder that, you know, hap- that happened, even though it was a World Series. Exactly. And he got Look, tormented for his life. I'm so glad yeah. that at least they came around and invited yeah. him back and made it right before he passed because, man, they tormented that guy. Tormented. He's a borderline Hall of Famer, too. I mean, in, in yeah, maybe in today's game he's not, but he had over 2,700 career hits. And yeah. uh, seven times hit over 300 in a season. So uh, also had uh, nearly 500 doubles in his career. So he was he wasn't just a you know ball player that you know played a couple of years. He, he was in the league for you see what it says here. He played for I think 20 uh, I want to say 20 years if I'm not mistaken from 69 to 1990. So 20 or 21 seasons. That's pretty remarkable. And and you know no one remembers him unfortunately for those 2,700 plus hits. They remember from one play in the World Series, and that happened to be the biggest moment of his career probably, but I agree. Um, that shouldn't be the defining moment of, you know, what his career was all about. No, exactly. Even Mookie Wilson said in a documentary too. <laughs> and he's the one who made, who made the play, but mm-hmm. yes. So, yeah, Lucy, what do you got cooking on your show tomorrow? Gee, where do I begin? Well, of course, we're going to start <laughs> off with the uh, men's and women's uh, finals that uh, happened this week. Uh, MLB Baseball with its opening week. Uh, WrestleMania highlights, of course. We can't be, we can't forget that, can't we? Um, you know, there's nothing in there. Um, we'll also be talk, also be discussing. Uh, WNBA, because WNBA is going to have their uh, draft, so I'll give a little bit of a draft uh, preview on that. Any fans out there who have um, any particular interest in that? <laughs> of okay. course. Right. Well, you know, there are there are a few that um, have an interest in that, uh, to be honest, but I know it's not – it's a chosen – it's a very select – it's a very, shall I say, selected group. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll also be talking, and of course, so uh, oh yeah, also talking about the Masters, and not to sound insulting though, but the demise of the Lakers. What went wrong this season? 
I'll take all comments on that well, tomorrow. Believe there. me, I will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You yeah. have a host so call that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have two shows on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, if you got time tomorrow between 5 and 7, I call the following number, 512-543-4662, 512-543-4662. And you might want to tune tomorrow because I'm going to give a rant tomorrow that uh, you know, this is going to be, you know, this might sound a little ugly, so you might want to call in. Some of you already know what it's going to be about because, you know, the friends that you know friends that know me personally, uh, particularly if you're a Yankee fan, you might want to tune into this because, uh, you know, some of you might agree with me on this. But believe me, this yeah. might get nasty. Oh, I think you already know too, don't you? Well, since you're going to be doing wrestling, you know, it sound, that sounds great, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have, I have my co-host telling that because he, he's more of a wrestling fan than I am. So my co-host is going to help me with that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So you got a great show there tomorrow. Make sure you guys support yes. Lou, 5 to 7 Eastern Standard Time Zone, and the Enhanced Sports Show, 512-543-4662. And that's 512-543-4662. Make sure you support our great friend and definitely appreciated Lou. All right, All right guys, thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you so much hey, for Luke, calling. Thanks, so much, for, you. thanks yeah. so much for your time tonight. <laughs> Appreciate you. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you. Great, great guy, Lou. So, yeah, I mean, what I wanted to say in, in about Hank Aaron is that I thank God for Hank Aaron. You know, I, I'm really – that that brings back memories that we had Daryl come on on the day that unfortunately Hank Aaron passed, but it just goes to show you, you know, he told us about a story about Eric Davis and why he wore that number 44. And, you know, he's just, he's just a great classy guy and, and just a great ambassador of baseball and also, you know, the black community. I, I feel proud to that he is, a great representation of, of myself, you know, because he could have retaliated any one of those points. He could have got upset. And all the guy wanted to do was play baseball and make sure he found a way to make sure that everybody else around him was important too. He didn't just think about himself and Mm -hmm. it wasn't fair. It just goes to show you that the way he was treated wasn't fair, but he handled it with grace and class just because someone could play baseball whether you're black, Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, you shouldn't be treated with hate mail. You shouldn't be going to hotels and have to kind of watch your back, so to speak, because of your color of your skin. But this is what Hank had to deal with. He still was able to execute on the field at such a high level. And like you said, he didn't hit tape mugs or shots, but he did it a different way with being consistent. And I just... I thank God for Hank Aaron for being a great ambassador of baseball. He's truly this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's one of those individuals um, that I always wanted to meet. And I had uh, a couple opportunities not to meet him over the years, but just to be in, uh, be in the same place that he was in. Um, I'll go back to 2000 in Atlanta. I went to the, um, the home run derby because the all-star game was there that year. And, of course, 
home runs in Atlanta are uh, synonymous with Hank Guerin. So he was there. Um, he was down on the field. And then in 2005, he was there for an event. Um, they were opening a new, new, he was a kid's uh, zone in Turner Field. And I happened to see him there from a distance. And then uh, most recently, I may have seen him one other time that I am not thinking of, but uh, three years ago, uh, last week, I believe it was, Atlanta opened their new spring training facility down in Northport. And um, I think I may have posted some pictures on our Facebook page of this, but um, outside of the stadium, all the retired numbers, they have these giant displays of, uh, of course, Hank Aaron and all the guys who've had their numbers retired by the Braves over the years. And also they have the 42 of Jackie Robinson out there. And he was actually at his number when they opened their new park. They had one game they played there in late 2019 or late spring training of 2019. I didn't get there in time to see him there, but as he was leaving the um, player and media parking lot is kind of beyond center field. And I happened to be out in that area and I watched as this um, herd of people, I guess is the best way to describe it. It was a entourage, I guess you could say, of Hank Aaron taking him out to uh, to uh, a vehicle, and then they, of course, drove back to Atlanta from there. So um, it was neat to be able to see him. I would have loved to have sat down and had a great conversation and, and picked his brain a little bit and gotten to know him. Uh, would have been nice, but unfortunately he's uh, no longer with us. So, But, again, you, you – couldn't have said it any better. Great ambassador to the game and really just a great ambassador to the, the sport in general. And, you know, the relations that of course came from all the things that he had, uh, he, he had to go through all the adversity he went through for the 23, 24 years that he played. Um, and of course the same thing with Jackie Robinson, just a few years before him. So um, he's definitely missed and uh, definitely, I think we can learn a lesson from uh, everything that he went through and what he stood for all those years ago in today's uh, climate that we live in. So um, baseball has started. Uh, Alan, I'm so excited about this. This is opening week. Um, watching, uh, actually have a game on right now that I'm watching in the background. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it certainly is. Honestly, baseball is the American sport. I know everybody talks about football. And don't get me wrong, you and I both love football too. We could talk about football for an entire uh, series of shows if we wanted to, but there's something about baseball and the connection to the fans and, you know, fathers taking their young sons or their older sons to a ball game and just that, that uh, camaraderie that it builds up and the, the, you know, the memories that it builds up. And I think it's just such a neat thing to be able to see that and still see that today um, and still see a lot of great talent out there. And there's a lot of players that are coming into the league now that I really am looking forward to watching play you know, we've seen Mike Trout and Bryce Harper over the last few years and some of these newer, younger players that are coming along. Really an exciting sport. It is. And, you know, it was really, really cool to see a lot of participation on opening day. You know, I saw Russell, you talk about football. I saw Russell Wilson throwing out the first pitch. That was really cool. And then you had a lot of people show up for opening day. People recognize that it is opening day. I thought that was really nice. I, I did, um, you know, I follow Barry Bonds. He was at the, at the game, opening day, San Fran. He was there. And it's just really nice and cool to see that, you know what, even though baseball didn't start on time, they had this labor dispute. Like you said, you can get mad and, and upset at baseball, 
but you just can't it's like your kid you just can't tell them to leave your house forever and then that's really the end of it some point you're gonna be like you know what maybe i was wrong you need to come back you just can't <laughs> get, get rid of it <laughs> you know yeah even if you totally agree uh, totally which i I would agree with this much. Like, I understand someone trying to get as much as they want. I, I hear you on that. You know, it's a business. But I, I do think, okay, yes, it is a business. In most degrees, you are still playing a sport. I think sometimes people forget that, that, yes, this is somewhat corporate America, but you are playing a sport and you're playing baseball. You're getting paid to play baseball. I, I just kind of hate the fact that, a lot of times that's what's so important with guys is, is the money, how much contract money I'm getting. Whereas you see guys like Hank Aaron, they get it got pretty decent contracts, but they didn't make it all about the money. And I think today's yeah. players make it all about the money, make it all about social media, make it all about stuff that's not really – it's taken away from what baseball is about. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing that – get caught up in nowadays is you know and and look this is this is just a fair way to look at it because it's accurate and it's factual you know having i I think anybody's going to be happy if you have a lot of money to spend on players because then there's really no obstacle to go around it's not like oh well we're the and i'm not using this in a negative way but you look at a team like the pittsburgh pirates they don't have the the deep pockets that the Yankees and the Red Sox of the world have to be able to go out and get whatever they need anytime they need it. They have to be creative, kind of with the Tampa Bay Rays run. But you see a lot of these big contracts, and you automatically think, okay, this guy's signed for $300 million. He's automatically going to make that team better. And it doesn't always work that way. You look at uh, Bryce Harper when he left the Nationals after 2018. Most people would have thought the Nationals in 2019 would have been – kind of on the rebound, if you will. And they end up winning the World Series that year. So, um, And then you look at the Mets. You know, They've had one of the highest payrolls the last three, four years, and they have nothing to show for it. They haven't been to the playoffs at all. And I think that just kind of shows you that, yeah, money is, is, is one thing to have. It, it, it doesn't hurt you necessarily, but it, you can't buy a championship. Look at the Dodgers just two years ago winning the World Series for the first time since 1988. You know, they, They've been putting together – one of the highest payroll teams in baseball for 10 years in a row. And it took them that long to finally put together a team that was going to win it. So, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that there's a difference between today's and it's not just baseball. This happens in other sports too, but there's a difference in our minds, how, um, and it's a generational thing, how we look at players now, you know, again, as I mentioned before, Oh, that guy's making $100 million. That guy's making $200 million. I have no idea how much Hank Aaron made in his career. I have no idea how much Willie Mays made in his career. They were, I'm sure, well taken care of. They you know, made, made the money, not the big bucks that they make today for sure, but in their time they made, they made money. And the thing is different in that time frame. Fans didn't really care about that kind of stuff the way they do today. I think it's viewed a lot differently now where – now than it was, of course, 50 years ago. So, um, and I can remember this. Let me just throw this out there too. I remember when Dan Marino signed <laughs> in 1991 a five-year, $25 million contract, and that was the highest-paid player in sports history. So we've come a long ways in 30 years, from five and 25 to you know whoever is the highest-paid athlete now. So uh, things have definitely changed in the financial 
realm for uh, for professional athletes. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it, like you said, your great point is just because you have a Bryce Harper doesn't mean you're going to get a championship. I would even venture that when you have big-name contracts, you put more pressure on yourself, and the player puts more pressure on himself because now they got to live up to that expectation of making a gazillion dollars. And you know, it just to your point, I just would kind of wish that the today's player would was go back to the basics. That it's not all about the money; it's about how you handle yourself and how you, what type of dignity and class you have, and what you're doing on the field. Your teammates and your team win. That ultimately is the biggest thing. The other thing to me is, okay, if you have 100 million, you have 125 million. If you're managing your money right, either one of them should be enough money for you to live. And the bottom line is, is really just for bragging and purposes. You know, that's what it comes down to. Nobody's worth 100 or 200 million dollars to play baseball. It's just, I'm sorry, you're talented, you're gifted, but Come on, two hundred million dollars or three hundred million dollars to play baseball. I think guys' priorities are are even, you know, even Aaron Judge turned out a contract, a very fair contract that Yankees gave him, two hundred something million dollars. He turned it down for an extension because he's yeah. trying to get more money someplace else. That's that's the bottom line. He's not, not going to come on say that, but obviously that's what it is. You said you want to be a Yankee. They give you a very very nice offer. You obviously are just trying to fish around and get more money. That's what it comes down to. So I think people, yes, money is good. It's good to have a, a nice bank account. But I'm telling you, if you're managing your money right and you're doing the right things with your money, helping your community, you're going to have more than enough money to go around with. You don't have to sign the biggest contract and say, hey, I'm the man to be the man. That's just no, the bottom that's a good line. Point. That's, that's a very good point. I, I agree. Um, I think a lot of what these guys who are turning down these big contracts, I think w- one of the things that I think pressures them into making those decisions is when a guy goes out and hits free agency, biggest thing that his agent or agency is going to point out is the similarities between him and whoever – preceded him in getting a big contract. So a lot of times these guys are trying not to let down their players that are coming after them. They're kind of financially paving the way in a sense. And it kind of, it kind of cuts both ways. I can understand it from the player's side, but I can just also understand it from the side you just pointed out there. You know, do you really want to make that extra couple bucks to maybe go play for a team that's not going to be very good? Because if you're playing in the Yankees organization, you know, the Yankees are the, are the, Major League Baseball's gold standard for the most part, you know you're going to be on a team that's going to contend or at least is going to put everything out there trying to contend. You're going to be on a team that's always going to put together uh, at least a fairly good roster. So you're going to turn down all that money that they're going to offer you and all the potential for championships to go play for a team that might pay you a little bit more money, but they're going to suck the entire year. You know, is, what, what is more important to you, winning or you know, money? At the end of the day, $200 million and $160 million are a lot more than you and I are ever going to make in our lifetime. So <laughs> I think we'd, we'd probably take the what we're comfortable with and also be in a situation where we know we have a chance to win. So Exactly. That's that's a great point. That You want to be in a situation you think you're going to win. You also want to be in a situation you're going to be happy and thrive in because, okay, you might make a couple of extra bucks someplace else, but it, number one, when you leave a big market team, 
it's really cool when you have a lot of people taking interest in what you're doing every day with the media attention. When you go to some of these other ballparks, you might have just a local local news writer, maybe another person, and that's it. You don't have – and sometimes when you have all this media attention, you play better. So those are things you need to think about too. Like how am I going to be affected outside of the money? Stop just thinking about the dollars. How is it going to be day-to-day? Like you said, to your point, Aaron, is it going to suck because our team is not that good? Or, or am I going to take all the roster money and they're going to come and tell me, well, we really can't get another pitcher because we paid you all the money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You want to be in a, a situation where you're, you're going to be productive. You're going to be in a play a, a team that's where you're getting a nice contract, but you're going to be happy and everybody around you is going to be happy too. So, I just challenge guys that are out there, do more than just look at the dollars and cents of a contract. Be practical in your decision-making. And also, don't let your agent or your boys tell you, hey, man, nah, turn down that contract and, and try to get a bigger one. It's easy for somebody from the background, you know, your boy to tell you, turn down that contract and get a bigger one when they're not you. They're not you. Always remember that. They're not you. Yeah. And yeah. And a lot of times they're trying to tell you to turn out this contract to get a bigger contract simply because they have a skin in the game. They want you to get a bigger contract because they're going to be asking you for more money. You know? So be careful <laughs> who you're taking advice from, too. Yeah, no, that's a, a great point there. Um, and that, that's how the game has changed, too. You know, free agency and and player demands and things like that have grown immensely. And as I mentioned before, you look at 1991, let's go to a baseball uh, conversation on this. Barry Bonds, when he left the uh, Pirates and went to the Giants, he was only making, I say only, he was only making about $7 million a year, which at that time was astronomical in terms of, of money in baseball. Now you've got, uh, Max Scherzer with the Mets, who's making, I believe it's like $40, $41 million a year. And he's 37 years old, too, by the way. That's pretty pretty remarkable for a guy that age. Now, he's an anomaly in terms of, you know, guys aren't built like him. He's you know definitely one in a billion as far as being a pitcher. But he's making six times. He's making in one season what Barry Bonds was making that entire contract back in 1993. So it has changed a lot. But at the same time, that's become the important thing is the money and not the I want to go somewhere because I have a chance to win. And a lot of these guys, sometimes they'll take the money over, you know, over um, the opportunity to win. And it does um, it does seem to hurt the sport to some degree. But at the same time, players just keep getting richer. So, yeah, their pockets are getting richer. So and and one of the things the players got to understand is that most people are not going to sympathize with a person who's making millions and millions and millions of dollars to play baseball. <laughs> you know, I, I, I understand players like, Hey, what about my point of view? Well, people are not going to look at your point of view with a grain of salt because you're making more than they can make in their lifetime in most cases. And you're unhappy about the money you're making. So <laughs> people are not going to agree with you. So, if you want sympathy from the fans because you turn down a $200 million contract and look and hope that you get a $250 million, 
you're not going to get any sympathy. So if that's important to you, the money, then just chase the money and do you, but don't look for sympathy from that from fans because it's not going to happen. Yeah, you're 100% correct on that. Fans, you know, we're the ones, you and I and the fans out there are the ones who are paying, you know, the the cost for, you know, tickets, which, you know, I went to four spring training games um, in a short three-week period just on weekends and one Friday last week. And, you know, the average cost per ticket was, per, you know, you think about this, was probably 25 to $30 per ticket which is crazy because I've gone to games and not that, not that long back that I got my whole family <laughs> tickets for that much for a whole game. So, um, you know, the cost of tickets, all those things are going to be things that are taken into account. No, you're absolutely right. You know, that's, they got to make the money back somehow. And how they make the money <laughs> is by those ticket sales, raising the prices of the concessions, also, the stands, like, you know, when you go to the gift shop, that's how they make their money. And the ticket sales, the gate sales, parking, all of that. But the cool thing about opening day is that, you know, people got involved. I saw even uh, Derek Brooks, he was uh, he put a post up about starting, you know, Tampa Bay. Uh, he threw out the first pitch. I don't think he was him throwing out the first pitch today, but he may have thrown out the first pitch in the, in the past, but that's what the post was. Yeah. And I think that may have been today. I saw that too. I, it may I wasn't have been, quite... yeah, was that today? Let me get clarification on that. He may have thrown it out today, but, it, you know, I even posted, I even commented on it that that's an honor, man, you know, to get to throw out the first pitch of any major league, especially opening day. Yeah, that's absolutely. really cool. No, it is. It is a, 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 just to do it in, in general is neat, but to, to do it uh, at all is is definitely a, a, a neat and remarkable thing to be able to do. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, he threw out the first pitch, and let me just see here. I just, I'll get clarification on that because man, but that's really cool. Throwing out the first pitch, and. Let me just see here. And yeah, this was in 2015, but it made it seem like it was today. Yeah, I mean, that's just a great honor. Yeah, he's, he's telling him, wish him good luck this year. That was in 2014. But, man, that's awesome, man. Anytime you get to throw out the first pitch, that's an honor. I haven't had the honor of throwing out the first pitch, but man, I would love to. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a very neat, uh, very neat thing to be able to do that. And of course, when you do it too, you got to make sure uh, that you, you know, don't bounce it up there, don't throw it past, you know, don't, don't, don't pull a fifty cent and <laughs> throw the ball into the into the stands behind uh, behind home plate. So um, you got to want to want to make sure you get one right in there. Catcher catches it, and you know everyone cheers at that point. So. Um, yeah. I want to go through uh, my predictions here, and we'll get yours as well for the 2022 season. And we don't have time tonight, unfortunately, to go through every single um, you know placement of every single team. But um, I look at uh, just the divisions who I think is going to win each one. We'll start in the, in the American League. Um, 
until somebody proves me wrong and proves them wrong, I just don't see anybody knocking the Rays off in the East in the American League. I think they have um, really put together a fine organization again. Um, I, I have them at the top. I think there's going to be two wildcard teams, Alan, that come out of the AL East this year, the Yankees and the, and the Blue Jays, believe it or not. I don't see the Red Sox getting into the playoffs this year. Um, have the White Sox edging out the Tigers in the AL Central. Mariners, this is a kind of a shocker here. I have Seattle winning the AL West this year with the Astros finishing second, winning one of the third, uh, winning the third wild card spot in the National League. Um, again, the Braves have won four in a, uh, four division titles in a row. Again, they're really well put together. They're probably a better team now than they were six months ago when they won the World Series. So I've got them winning the East. I have the Cardinals winning the Central with Albert Pujols and all the veterans they have there. And then the Dodgers, I mean, they are such a well-put-together team, too. I've got them winning the West. The wild cards are going to be the Mets, the Brewers, and the Giants. So one uh, wild card team out of each division. Uh, Final four, I've got the Rays beating the Astros in the American League. Tampa will go to its third World Series, and I've got the Braves beating the Dodgers in the National League. Braves will go to their second World Series in a row, and I've got Atlanta winning over Tampa in the World Series. So I wonder what your wow. thoughts are on uh, each of those uh, projections that I have. It sounds really good. I mean, you've got the Braves out there winning. But, you know, I, I agree with you with the Rays. I definitely do think the Rays are going to be a team that's going to, you know, they've you got to give that organization a lot of credit. And, you know, I, I did talk to Lou Pinello last Friday. We had the interview, and, and the Rays back then are not the same Rays they are now they have they always put a great product on the field and the AL East they're definitely one of the big contenders I love what they're doing with the small market but I agree with you I do think the Rays have a very good shot of winning the division especially even more so now that Aaron Judge didn't solidify his extension and you might be like okay what's the big deal with that well that creates animosity and dissension in organization by your guy, one of your big guys not signing a contract, now you got to deal with this during the season, and it gets a little messy now. So that could be a distraction. One guy not getting his extension, dealing with that stuff in the offseason is much better than dealing with it during the season. So I do I do agree with you. I think the Yankees are probably going to be a wild card team. I, I, I think the Rays have a very good shot of winning the division. And I just think uh, the Dodgers will probably be, because of the fact that they got Freddie Freeman, I just think that they're going to be tough to beat. They already had a stacked team, adding him and a team with, with playoff experience. I just think they're going to be a tough team to beat. And I'll give you the rest of my predictions in a bit, but I did want to, speaking of Freddie Freeman, I definitely wanted to get your input on this. I got a chance to see Freddie Freeman's, interview talking about Ronald Acuna and he said that they had beef. They had beef when he left. And I was a little surprised because usually baseball players keep their mouth shut. They don't say things like this in the media, but he let it know that he had a problem with him. And you can almost see in Freddie's face that he wanted to almost cry that Ronald had this dissension towards him. He didn't, maybe he thought that he didn't like a couple things, but I don't think he thought, Ronald didn't like him as much as he did. 
you know, it was a lot deeper than he thought it was. But he handled it. With, he took the high road. He didn't. He didn't uh, take any shots with him. What are your thoughts on that that drama situation? Yeah, I think this is unique because, and this is something that happens. I don't want to say every time, but usually when you have a player leave a team, sometimes there's some thing, some some dirty laundry that either the departing player or the players that are still with the previous organization want to air. So it's not uncommon that this kind of stuff occurs. I think, and, and Acuna tried to walk it back a little bit. He tried to come out and say he didn't say those things. I think there's a couple things that I would point out here. There is a little bit of a language barrier. Um, as Acuna mostly speaks Spanish, as most people know. Um, and I believe some of this was done through his translator, so there may have been some some miscommunication in that realm of things. Um, also, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, too, between Acuna and Freeman from a, from a, and I may not understand it from Acuna's perspective as much. From Freeman's perspective, I saw more of what he had to say about, you know, the Braves have always been a classy organization. And I'll go back to the Bobby Cox days in the 90s. Um, Bobby Cox did not like, and this kind of held over to even where we're at now with Brian Snicker and the way the clubhouse is run. He didn't like guys not being in proper uniform, um, wearing their hat backwards, um, goofing off you know he he wanted you to have fun and this is the same way it is with the current team he wanted you they want you to have fun but they also want you to treat the game with the respect that it deserves and I think from what I understand over the years there was a few situations where um Acuna didn't adhere to some of those things and Freeman had something to say to him it was mostly you know closed locker room clubhouse type of stuff and obviously it made its way to the surface and I think that there's actually less to this story than what's actually there. I think the media has kind of blown it up because obviously that's what the media does. They do such a good job of making an on story into a story. So I think this is going to be something that'll, that'll blow over. Um, I don't think there's anything to it. In fact, I would not be shocked if in June when the Dodgers are in Atlanta, first of all, Freddie Freeman will get his world series ring playing for the wrong team now, but he'll get his ring. And I expect it's Freddie Freeman's zone for hugs. I expect him and Ronald Acuna will have a good conversation probably before the game, and they'll have a big moment on the field where they hug each other and everything kind of goes over from there. So I think that this is a lot less of a story than what the media is portraying it as at this point. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to you know, make amends to each other. But I do think one thing about this situation is how things could kind of turn into to a bad situation. There is, like you said, a, a language barrier. But it seemed to me like Freddie Freeman, hearing his side of the view, which I'm glad he was, you know, he gave his side of the story. Freddie Freeman was basically the messenger in this. It became surprising to me that the Braves do have a lot of rules outside of just the normal wearing your, your uniform the right way. When you are doing a road game and you're going away, you're not allowed to wear tennis shoes. You know, you have to wear nicer than just casual, business casual attire. And there was quite a few rules that Freddie had to learn himself by being part of the Braves, which I didn't know. I thought the Yankees were being the ones that were kind of like fine to comb. But the Braves do have <laughs> rules that not everybody agrees with. I think Ronald Kuna is the type of guy who's more of a free spirit. And there are people like that who like to – 
do their own way, do be their own style, and they don't want to conform to just a traditional stuff. And that works good for a lot of people being a free spirit. I feel Ronald Kuna was is a free spirit personality. And I think Freddie Freeman was the type of guy that had to learn the rules, learn the rules, and now he was a person, a leader, who had to enforce the rules. And now when you're the messenger going to a guy who's really an outstanding player, Ron Acuna, and telling him, well, you can't really wear this and you really can't wear that, it's not the rules, it's not the Braves way, I could see where there could be dissension in that dynamic. You understand? It's not mm-hmm. that Freddie's really doing anything wrong, but you're the messenger and you're the guy who likes to follow those rules because you learned them and you felt like, hey, I got to follow these rules. You should too. Some people just, they hate the messenger, no matter what you do. Yeah, no, that's, that's sometimes just the way it goes. Um, but I, again, I think this is a story that will, it's going to go away. We won't hear anything about it probably beyond this weekend. And then it will be brought back up by the media. Guarantee it'll happen in uh, early to mid-June, whenever that series is between these two teams. And then we'll see both guys have a classy conversation. They'll share a hug. The crowd will cheer, and then it'll all be over from there. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. You know, I'm just glad that, you know, Freddie is a a fan of of Ronald, which is really cool. You know, he wished him success. And and that's a perfect example of taking the high road. Freddie could have – he could have went – and took the low road, made this a much bigger story, and shots could have been fired against, you know, Ron Acuna, but he didn't. He took the high road, and to his credit, it's glad that he did because, like you said, to your point, Aaron, it's going to boil over, you know, Freddie now, whether you like it or not, he's on a new team, and he's going to be playing for the Dodgers. What are your thoughts about the Dodgers now that he's part of their team? Well, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, the, the, the two top teams in the National League, clearly it's Atlanta and, and Los Angeles. So, you know, you have the Dodgers getting Freeman. That improves their offense. And Atlanta actually got uh, Kenley Jansen, who had been the Dodgers' closer for the last several years. They signed him just a few days later. Um, Dodgers, their pitching is definitely there, but it's not quite as deep as Atlanta. So I think Atlanta has a little bit of an edge on the pitching side. Uh, whereas on the Dodgers side, they they have a, a very strong offense. There's no no way around that. I wouldn't want to navigate through that lineup if I was an opposing manager. Um, these are two great teams. I mean, it would be a, a juggernaut to watch that series if they meet each other in the NLCS this year, just like they did the last two years in a row. You know, edge of your seat, you know, every pitch counts kind of a, a, a series. Um, so it's going to be fun. Uh, we're 160 games away from it now. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it, it, it's going to be this – is, this is what I love about baseball is it's, uh, you know, the season has reset. You're at zero or you're at two now. And, you know, the next six months is how things are going to play out. And you never know. Um, but, you know, the odds are on those teams. Those are the best teams in, in, in the National League for sure. And don't get me wrong, there's some other good teams in the National League too. You've got the Mets who are certainly better. You've got uh, St. Louis who's – you know, definitely improved. The Giants are still a good team. I mean, they won 107 games last year for crying out loud. So they're 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 right there too as a, a really strong team. But experience does matter, and you know, having a, a great roster 
you know, like both these teams do, that matters a lot as well. And the depth is really what's going to determine it. And, you know, it used to be, and it, the, the adage is still there, pitching is going to beat offense anytime. It, you know, great pitching will shut down, great hitting. The bullpen has become so much more important than it used to be. It used to be, don't get me wrong, it's always been important, but it used to be you really wanted to make sure you had the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings covered. Now starting pitchers are only going five innings. So you've got to cover the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. You've got four innings to cover, and it makes relief pitching a lot more uh, valuable. And I think the Atlanta bullpen is just a – that's the deciding factor. Their bullpen is just a slight bit better than Los Angeles at this point. If that's what defies it and pushes it over the top, that's going to be what makes the difference at the end of the day. Yeah, you're right. Pitching is big, and – you got to show up and you got to basically go there and and get and be in command of the strike zone. You know, that's the thing. Pitching is very, very important in baseball. And the reason being is because you got to get guys to the strike zone is so tight and small. You got to get them to swing at pitches and you got to be around the zone in most cases. So pitching is very, very important. Guys know which balls they can handle a lot better. So, you know, if you really want to go deep, you got to have a team with a good pitching. Definitely great relief because, like you said, most most guys don't go past that fifth inning. So you have the long relief. And at least if you don't get the long relief, you need to have a good middleman who can get you to those last, last few innings. But I, I definitely do think this is going to be a great season. I'm encouraged of how it started. Today was, was huge. And – one play that was uh, really cool was that, you know what? One of the rules that they put in place over the last few years was the instant replay, and it worked out well because the guy hit a ball. It was it looked like it was <laughs> – it looked like it was caught off the back wall, but it wasn't. It hit off the back wall and it didn't his glove, which means that white that's Sox not a Tigers, catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah white that's Sox not a Tigers catch. And, yeah, yeah, that's – Really, and to the naked eye, you watch that just, you know, in, in normal speed of, of game, you know, from a distance at least without them zooming in, it looks like the ball hit his glove, popped up in the air, and then he caught it, and that was the end of the ball game. And as it turns out, it actually hit the fence just above his glove just before it hit his glove. And then when they replayed it, and the neat thing too is this year, they're also similar to the way a referee in the NFL or in college football would make the announcement over the PA system. Now the umpires are doing the same thing. So uh, definitely very cool to see that. Yeah, that was a, a situation where technology played to the advantage and worked out well because on opening day, you would hate for a team to who legitimately won a game to miss on the first game of the year. You want to get up to a great start. And I was glad that when you watch on a replay, it wasn't as close it was a good six inches. You could clearly see the ball hit the wall and then bounce off his glove. Had it been, you know, three or four inches lower, it may have been very difficult with the background to determine that. But I was, I was definitely happy that they saw it. They reviewed it. But like you said, to your point, to your naked eye, it would look like it hit off his glove and then he caught it. But the reality is it hit the wall six inches above his glove and you can clearly see it hit the wall too. So they got the right play. And he got a game-winning hit. And i like to see the, the, the right team win. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you on that. That's, that's definitely the, 
the way to go about it. And, you know, the one thing I think is so interesting, uh, replay has definitely changed the way baseball is uh, presented, the way it's managed, the way that the outcome of the game goes. Obviously, we have seen in the last year or so some one uh, some replays that were clearly they got the call wrong. I mean, there was a, a couple dozen of them probably in the last two, three years where they just got the call wrong even with replay. But I wonder about certain plays over the last, I don't know, 30 years or so. One that really kind of sticks out in my mind um, is in 96 with uh, Derek Jeter hitting that ball to right field at Yankee Stadium and the young man who stuck his hand over the fence, stuck his glove out over the fence rather, if, if replay had been around back then, would they have caught that? Or what are your thoughts? If replay was around back then, I think they would have called that fan interference. Yeah. And it, it would have changed, which means that you're out. And it would have been fan interference and changed the trajectory of Jeter, the Yankees, and everything. And because that was clearly fan interference, if you were able to watch the replay, you could clearly see his hand went over and interfered with the play. And his hand, his arm went over a, a good 10, 15 inches. He ended up being the hero because <laughs> it went the Yankees' way because they didn't have instant replay. But, man, if they had instant replay, he would have been right in the category where Bill Buckner is as far as torment or <laughs> him or the guy from the Cubs. Bartman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Bartman, yeah. Yeah, and they they would have been the fall guy, but instead he ended up being a hero, and the Yankees won, ended up winning the series and won the, won the World Series that year. I, but, I remember yeah. I remember Tony Tarasco, um, he was the right fielder, um, adamantly pointing out to the, the left field umpire, right field umpire rather, that the ball had been uh, had been interfered with, and of course – the replays clearly showed it like you just talked about before. And, you know, there was no replay back then. And the umpires had a discussion about it and still wouldn't change the call. So um, interesting how things like that 25, 26 years ago would have been different in today's game. Clearly they would have changed that and, and ruled it differently. So, so Alan, what else do we have there on the, on the program tonight? Yes. Yeah, so the great thing is for those people who are golf fans, this is outstanding, but Tiger, after nearly losing his life and also having on the table of losing his leg, he returned back to the Masters. So let me give uh, Tiger Woods a round of applause. You know, it's really remarkable that Tiger was able to even make a comeback and play golf in a competitive level number one, that's, um, you know, definitely a bless from God. And then he actually played very good. I mean, he wasn't Tiger-esque in the sense that he was getting a bunch of birdies, but he still beat a lot of guys that are top competitors who didn't make the cut. Bryson DeChambeau, a lot of guys that are today's players, the top players, they didn't make the cut. And sure enough, Tiger played par yesterday. And then um, today he was plus, I believe he was plus two today. So he is about four strokes behind. He's about eight strokes behind leader, but four strokes behind being second place. So he made the cut. 
he's, he's not been cut out of his tournament, still not over. The guys that, that are ahead of him have to keep the pedal to the metal. But one of the things about Tiger is this. If Tiger does strike fear in people, whether you like it or not, because he is Tiger Woods, and you have to respect him because if you mess up a bit and Tiger has a hot day and you're within a two or three strokes of Tiger, that is a very winnable tournament that Tiger can end up you know, getting you. So it's remarkable that Tiger made it come back to the Masters, made it come back, period. And it's remarkable, too, that I do believe if Tiger can, you know, he says the process, he's got to get rehab and everything after every round, ice, bath, galore. But you know what? Like I was telling you before, Aaron, if Tiger can cut down his schedule to maybe 10 tournaments a year, 10 to 12 max, and really work hard at winning one major year, I believe he can do it. Yeah, and I think especially whether he, you know, wins this tournament or not, I think uh, higher placement in it uh, will definitely be something he can build off of going forward. Um, I know a lot of people have doubted him over the years, even up to the point where I think it was three years ago when he won his last major, which, by the way, was also the Masters. I think people had kind of written him off because he hadn't won anything major in 10 years at that point. So the fact that he is still playing, and I'll say this just like I would for Tom Brady, if they're still playing, they still have a shot. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to your point, Aaron, they, if Tiger's playing, he has a very good shot. So if you don't bring your A game and you slip up a bit, he gets hot, it could be game over. And another thing that I, I really wanted to talk about about Tiger was I noticed the amount of kind of player hating, I would just call it, player hating from people in this regard that they're upset in a way of a couple things. Number one, they're upset that Tiger's getting all the attention in the Masters tournament that they felt as if maybe their guy or somebody rooting for someone else should be getting the attention. That's number one. The other thing is, you hear people kind of like, okay, you know, can we, Tiger's getting all the attention. What did the other guys do? And, you know, they watch everything that Tiger does. And I look at that, those type of things like this. It's not Tiger's fault that he is Tiger Woods. It's not Tiger's fault that he has a gift. He's gifted in golf. He works really hard at his craft. And he's been blessed to play golf. It's not his fault, meaning Tiger Woods is not telling everybody in the media, follow me around, fans, follow me, you know, do everything I'm doing. He's not telling you to do that. He's living his life, doing what he's got to do, and people are gravitating to him. So you can't mm-hmm. hate on a guy because he's the center of attention. If you ask Tiger, he may not even want all this attention. But you know what? It is what it is. You're Tiger Woods, just like Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron, I'm sure, didn't does not come across a guy like me who was just relishing all this attention. He doesn't seem like an Antonio Brown, so to speak, who just loved the attention. The T.O. just loved the attention. That you could never give them enough. Tiger Woods, Hank Aaron, they're not those type of guys. They're very gifted. They work really hard. They study. They do those things that a lot of people don't want to do. And that's what makes them exceptional. So when they get the attention, all this attention, 
don't be a hater. Okay, people haven't seen Tiger Woods for for years playing in a tournament. People thought he was gonna, you know, like he said, pass away in this 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 horrible accident. But yet he made a rebound and he's playing golf and he's beating some of these guys. So you know what? Yeah, I'm being a hater. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I think there's people who are gonna not like him no matter what. Um, and I think some of that goes to you know you look at you can you can look at this in any sport. You know, you, you got the people out there who, like we talked about before, they hate Tom Brady because he wins so much. Um, people hate Nick Saban because he wins so much. People have over the years hated Tiger because he wins so much. You're never going to change that as far as – and that, that I think that shows a sign of, to some degree, um, that people are jealous of that person's uh, ability to be good at their craft, you know. Um, you know, you can name other individuals in sports too that the same thing happens with. So I, I, I think that's really what, what it's a, a sign of is that specific area where people, they just don't like him because they win all the time. And, and Tiger Woods is no different in that sense. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. Cause it's like, Hey, don't be jealous of the guy. Don't be envious of the guy. I mean, learn from him that in your job and your profession, if you dedicate yourself to it and you're willing to put the hard work into it, it is possible. But, it, you know, he's, he's gifted in that regard. He's not telling everybody to follow him. He's just doing what he loves to do. And, yes, it's not, it's not all his fault that he's getting all his attention. Sometimes he's yeah. like, if you watch his documentary, sometimes he's like, all right, all right, guys, like, this is cool, but this is not cool at the same time. Like, okay, I, I got to go. Like, you know, I got other things to do. <laughs> yeah. Very good point. Yeah, so, you know, so don't be a Tiger Woods hater. Enjoy the fact that he's still (laughs) able to play, and he just got into the Hall of Fame. It's really cool. And I did want to tell the fans out there this. I'm I'm really hoping he does make it to Sunday, because guess what? Lou Piniella told me on his bucket list, shout out to Lou, that his bucket list, was to go to the Masters. He's flying out to the Masters, and he's going to be there at the Masters on Sunday. So I'm glad Tiger is advancing. At least he'll he'll get a chance to see Tiger Woods if Tiger Woods is still in the contention come Sunday. You know, he didn't get cut from the tournament, that is. So congratulations to Lou, Lou Pinella, to checking off an item on his bucket list. You know, I wanted to make sure that we recognize Lou because he's going to the Masters. He told me he's flying out, him and his friend. It's going to scratch off a line on his bucket list that he wanted to go to Masters. And lo and behold, it works out for him because the year he's going, there's a very good possibility he'll see Tiger, provided Tiger continues to stay eligible and doesn't get cut. But he made the cut, so he's continuing on in the tournament for Saturday and Sunday. So big props to Lou Pinella and if you haven't seen our interview with Lou, please check it out. Definitely, we're, you know, I wanted to also mention to the fans of Lou Pinella that Lou Pinella of the Hall of Fame did interview. They responded to my uh, message. So I wanted to give the Baseball Museum Hall of Fame credit. They responded to my message within 24 hours, which I wasn't expecting a response that quickly, but they showed up, gave it to me, and I'm not going to apologize for it. But they did watch the interview. They even thanked me. They even thanked me for sending it. 
and they referred me to the Baseball Writers Association because, you know, he has to go that route to get voted in. I sent them a copy of the interview, too. I haven't heard back yet, but props to the Hall of Fame, Baseball Museum Hall of Fame and Lou Pinella, because at least, you know, the Hall of Fame did see the interview, and thank you, Lou, for, for doing the interview, and I'm going to keep Lou Pinella up to date with you guys on anything that happens because we want Lou to make it to the Hall of Fame. Tommy Bahama, props to them too for commenting and for Lou to make it too. So, you know, it's 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 really cool that Lou has a chat to to make it. If we did, I did put a little small segment of the interview on TikTok that had a bunch of reviews, a bunch of views. The last time I checked, it had 1,300 views of it. It was just a, a small down one minute version of him making it to the Hall of Fame. His thoughts on that, and it, it got a bunch of views. Just just goes to show you that people nowadays have very small attention spans. You put a little short video, it's usually <laughs> going to be a lot more successful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one hundred percent true for sure. So, well, great night here tonight. Uh, glad to have uh, glad to have Lou, of course, on our show, and and to get the baseball season kicked off. I know um, this is going to be a busy month in the sports world because obviously baseball just started. Um, obviously we just had the uh, NCAA uh, tournament end this past uh, Monday. Um, Masters ends here on, uh, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and then uh, we've got the NFL draft at the end of the month. So it's going to be a huge month. We'll have a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks and, Look forward to, um, you know, look forward to hearing uh, hearing from more uh, people out there. And, of course, uh, I'm sure Lou will be back with us as well. So uh, I want to thank uh, Lou for coming on tonight. I want to thank our sponsor, uh, again, uh, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. Uh, hopefully we've been able to, um, you know, be that support group for everybody here tonight. And uh, uh, anything else you want to add before the end of the show here tonight? Yeah, thank you, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce, for being our sponsor. And definitely this uh, weekend we have some big fights that are happening in the fight world, the boxing world. People love to hear my thoughts on that. But I, I definitely wanted to mention that one thing that you should look at is for the fight that's going to be in the zone. That's going to be for Ryan Garcia. He's going to be back in the ring. And – you know, I, I think Ryan has a good shot of winning this fight. I hope he does because he's he's basically been a guy that's been a lot of social media is really what he's been doing a lot of more than fighting. So for his sake, I hope he wins. And outside of that, you know, definitely check out that fight in the zone. Also, we have Triple G that's happening. I, I feel as if Triple G is going to win his fight. And outside of that, that's pretty much all I have in the boxing world today. All right, so some great stuff there uh, in the boxing world, of course, from Alan. Um, great show again tonight. Again, we want to thank our guest, uh, Lou. And um, hopefully everyone was able to tune in. If you missed any part of our show, it does come back. You can listen to it um, again on uh, iHeartRadio uh, as all of our shows are uploaded there and can basically be listened to at any time. So, we look forward to uh, everyone being back again next week. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in tonight. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to the Evan and Sports Talk Podcast. 
check out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.